All other ground is sinking sand. You can try to stand on your own, it's sinking sand. You can try to stand on what your mama told you, that's sinking sand. You can try to stand on what the television shows tell you, that's sinking sand. You can try to listen to Oprah and Dr. Phil, that's sinking sand. But only Jesus is the rock upon which we can stand. His words unto us are for life, for godliness, upon this morning. This morning, if you're in here and you just love Jesus, just give the Lord a hand clap of praise for how he's brought you, how he sustained you. You didn't show up on your own strength. You didn't show up because you were so sophisticated. But God had mercy and grace upon you this morning. That breath that you just breathed, he gave that to you. So we can talk about if God hasn't done anything for us. He just gave you that breath just now. You're in your your right mind. You're able to understand words this morning. You're able to speak. You're able to greet someone. You're able to shake their hand. You're able to smile. Something to be grateful for on this Lord's Day. Indeed, we are here not just to show up to see one another. We can have a party for that. But we're here to worship and to lift up Jesus this morning. I pray that we are indeed ready to lift up Jesus this morning. If you would, let's begin this morning just with prayer. With prayer. And as we show up this morning to worship, may we ask the Lord to give us hearts and minds ready for worship, that we may worship him in spirit and in truth. Oh, gracious Father, everlasting God, most blessed, most wonderful Savior. Oh, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be the glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, Lord, we would be hopeless without you. Even now, we are nothing before you apart from the blood of Christ and the power you have given us through your Holy Spirit, Lord, we would be lost. So even now, Lord, I ask that you would give, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Hearts that are ready. Lord, may we be ever mindful this day that we did not bring ourselves through this past week. We did not wake up ourselves each and every day as we headed to the job or wherever we had planned, but it was your grace. It was your mercy. Lord, we stand before you unworthy of your presence. We're unworthy to call you Father. We're unworthy to call you Abba. But yet, in spite of ourselves, you saw fit to draw people into yourselves. That you have redeemed by the blood of Jesus. It was not riches. It was not silver nor gold. But it was the precious blood of Christ that brought us back from the shackles of sin, slavery and bondage, which we We're held captive, Lord, and you have freed us that we may worship you. So, Father, even upon today, I ask that you would come and that you would be with us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh anew. Lord, may we not live on yesterday's manner, but give us a new grace, new mercies this day, O God. Make us desperate. Make us thirsty. Make us hungry for you this day, dear God. Father, I ask that you would fill this place with your presence that we may worship like never before. May you bring a mighty revival through your word. Lord, I ask that you would warm our hearts upon the fire of your word for it is radiant. You have mercy by causing us to obey and to love you. 
And I ask, oh God, that you would set the captives free this day and allow someone to humble themselves before you and trust in Jesus to be Lord and Savior. And Father, as you speak to us through your word on what it means to be a spirit-filled community of believers, Lord, may you speak to us through your spirit. Show us that we need not only you, but we need one another. We need you now. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. Amen. What a privilege and pleasure it is to be with you this morning, Forest Baptist Church, and to all of our guests, I would like to say welcome, That and, and uh, you know that it was not happenstance or some fluke, but the Lord allowed you to be in our presence this morning. And I ask that your time here would be well spent and the Lord would, would make, reveal himself in marvelous ways unto you this, this morning. As we continue on through the book of Galatians, we find ourselves in the, in the sixth chapter. And today is part two of a sermon that we started last week entitled, How to Handle Other Folks' Mess particularly how to handle other folks' sin. And last Sunday, we saw that the way to handle other folks' sin is the same way we handle our own sin, and that's through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And if you would, turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Galatians. We will start in Galatians, the fifth chapter, beginning with the 25th verse, and we will read unto the sixth chapter and the fifth verse. So if you would, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Galatians, the fifth chapter, beginning with the 25th verse. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And Lord, I a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Looking back upon last week where we were looking at how to handle other folks' sin, we, we, we started off by realizing and recognizing that we can handle other folks' mess once the Spirit has handled us. Because before we can handle other folks' mess, we have to deal with our own mess. This is what Paul refers to in verses 25 and 26. If we are going to be spirit-filled people, then we have to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We can't get out in front of the Holy Spirit. We can't try to be the Holy Spirit. We, we can't lie too far behind the Holy Spirit. But this, is, this military term means you are to walk in line with the Holy Spirit. We can't do our own thing and expect God to bless us. We need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Because what what he's saying in a summary is what we think of ourselves determine how we treat others, really. And last week we declared that we would not be a house divided when we humble ourselves and serve one another. So we can handle other folks once the Spirit has handled us. But not only that, we saw we handle other folks' sin humbly. We don't come uh, uh, arrogant and puffed up saying, look at you. Look at the filth. Well, we come lowly and we come humbly submitting ourselves to one another, knowing had it not been for God's grace, so go we. 
Had it not been God rescuing us out of that mess and, 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 and filth that we were in, had God not said to you, get up and get out, you would be the one in mess this morning. So as we approach others with our humility, given by the Holy Spirit, then we can begin to deal with other folks' sin. Verse 6 and 1, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And again, just a recap, he begins by saying, Brothers, this is for the body of believers. He's not talking about pagan folks out there. He's talking about those folks that sitting on our pew right next to you. Look to your left and look to your right. That's who the Bible's talking to, brothers, sisters. And he says, if anyone is caught, if, if anyone, it doesn't matter who you think you are or what we perceive people to be, if you are rich or poor, or black and white, if you uh, uh, look like you got things all together because you're sugar sharp in here today. Or if you bum me with a pullover, it doesn't matter if anyone, if the pastor, if the deacons, if the trustees, if anyone. This lets us know that, that sin can touch everybody. Sin can touch anybody. But he says if anyone is caught in any transgression, and, that, and a key term right there is caught. This is not a sin hunt. This is when someone is really caught up in sin, where sin becomes a character issue. This becomes a pattern of behavior. We ain't talking about you had a bad day. We're not talking about you was up all night uh, uh, rocking your child, your sick child to sleep, and, and now you're a little irritable. You're talking about this is a pattern of life. You're just bitter and angry at everybody. You're just selfish. And folks know you're selfish. They're like, if you want something, don't call him. This is a pattern if you are caught in any transgression, transgression, sin, that it, which is uh, the breaking of God's law, his, his moral standard of life. But what does he say? He, he doesn't say get on their head and berate them. He says, you who are spiritual. It, 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 is Paul talking about some, some elite Christian force in the church? Uh, some some spiritual Navy SEALs. No, he's talking about you who are walking in the Spirit. Go back to uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 16. He says, if, if, if we are walking in the Spirit, we would not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's saying the Spirit-filled life, if you are walking in the Spirit, then you should be able to handle somebody else's sin. If you have submitted yourself to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you and he's working in a way that's going to cause you to love one another and to deal with other folks' sin well. We talked about the way that we restore someone. This restore, again, it's like a body part that is out of place. If you ever had a dislocated finger, and that, that boy can just be sideways. And it can be a, it, it, it painful, but it, it may be crooked, but it's still part of the body. It, it, it may be off trajectory, but it's still part of the body. And the way you restore it, it's, it's through loving pain. You, you have to snatch that boy back in place. You can't, you can't, you can't just be soft-witted. You can't be... Uh, lackadaisical with it. You, you, have, you ever had a, a cut, a burn or something, and someone gives you the countdown and say, okay, on three, we're going we gonna to take care of this. And they say, one, and you and put it back. Like, I thought you said three. Like, no, we have to get it back. But the way we get it back was with the spirit of gentleness. Gentleness, a fruit of the Holy Spirit. See, when, when we're not gentle with one another, we're not walking in the spirit. When we're not loving and kind to one another, we're not walking in the Spirit. So last week we saw how to handle other folks' sin. This week I submit to you, we're tagged this text, how to handle other folks' burdens. How to handle other folks' burdens. I have a 
picture that I would like for us to put on the screen. Because when we consider what it looks like to carry up one another's burdens, this is the image that we should have in mind. This image is from the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona, and this 400-meter runner, Derek Redmond, had made it all the way to the semifinals, and as he was running his leg of the race, he was competing hard, he was running the race that was before him, and then just midway, he pulled his hamstring, his muscle tore in mid-stride to the point where he could barely even walk. He tried to get up, and he tried to walk but he could not go a step further. And then suddenly the camera pans to a man running uh, out of the stands. He, he jumps out of the stands and he runs to Derek's side and he puts his arm over his shoulder and he begins to help him as he hobbles to complete the race. This man is his father. This is an excellent illustration of what it looks like to bear one another's burdens, beloved, because God has given each one of us a race to run, and there's going to be times where you're going to pull a hammy. There's going to be times where you twist an ankle. There's going to be times where you're injured and you're hurt, and you won't be able to run. Even though you're called to run the race, you won't be able to run. Even though you want to finish, even, even though you want to get to the end, you won't be able to run unless somebody bears those burdens with you. Those within the body of Christ running the race that God has set before them in agony, there are times where there's sheer agony because of the burden and weight of life. But while we're in agony, others should come running to our aid for support, to encourage, to edify, to pick up and share the load of life. This is a picture of what spirit-filled living looks like. And though we do see this taking place here at Forest Baptist Church, we are a family of families. And so much sharing of life's load is taking place. This sight should actually be more common to us. We should see this taking place every day by every person, not a a certain set of individuals who, who do this, but by every single member of the body of Christ. See, but what, what, what hinders our coming to the aid of our brothers more regularly than, than we, how we see things right now? Beloved, the thing that hinders us from doing this very thing is the very thing that Jesus has poured his Holy Spirit into. It's our heart. We have a heart issue. Deceitful and desperately wicked, our our hearts yearn to be satisfied. And the primary reason why we're not serving others is because we're too busy serving ourselves. We we desperately want affirmation and and recognition for ourselves. So so we don't got time to give affirmation and recognition to somebody else. I want it all for myself. Acting like the character from Lord of the Rings, Gollum. It's mine. It's mine. I don't want to give it up. See, but Paul understands the, the, the heart, and he, and he also understands the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. So what Paul, uh, he, he, he's laying out for us how to have this burden for one another. And Paul is not speaking something that's, that's foreign to himself. Paul knows what it is like to have a burden for somebody. In Romans, the ninth chapter, verses 1 through 3, uh, Paul demonstrates his burden for those who don't love Jesus. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. What? That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, I am so burdened for the loss of my brothers and sisters who are Jews. I am so burdened that I would go to hell if I knew that God would rescue them. I would give up my spot for them. Oh, come on, somebody. Would you actually give up your spot for somebody else? See, and I ain't even talking about heaven. I'm talking about that spot at the dinner table. 
I'm talking about that spot in the lunchroom. I'm talking about that spot in line at Starbucks. Let somebody act like they about to take cuss in front of you at Starbucks. You going off. We go through the entire day. We ain't think about how we can serve anybody. It's all about me, what I want, what I have to do. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul provides the Galatian church with the key to unlocking service within the church. And he does so in verse 26 of the fifth chapter. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That's the key. We cannot be a conceited people and expect to serve one another. We have these hugely inflated egos which causes us to think more highly of ourselves than we are. And some of us, it manifests itself by this superiority complex where we look at other people, we, we look at what we think we have accomplished on our own strength, by our own smarts, and we look at somebody else who haven't accomplished it, and we look, look at them. What's wrong with them? Why don't they just get it together? Or this conceit manifests itself through an inferiority complex. And we look at somebody who we think has it all together and like, oh, they get on my nerves. They just think they just so holy. And they begin to, to irritate you. Whenever they come to the room, they just irritate you. Because you see what you want to be and you're not it. That's an inferiority complex. So, but, but this superiority and this inferiority complex, they're, they're from the same root issue of vain glory. This is an emptiness that we strive to fill. We're empty. Pastor Tim Keller, he makes a profound point here. And I, I, I love this point because he says, well, we see one another as we see the marketplace. And what he means is when we're looking at our relationships and see people, we look at them like, like, they're, like, like we're looking at a vending machine. And we choose what relationships we want to have based upon what satisfaction it's going to give me when I press this number. So when I come up to a vending machine, and I, I, I don't want no gummy bears. I want a Snickers bar. So guess what? I'm not going to think about the gummy bears. I ain't talking to the gummy bears because the gummy bears can't do nothing for me. But if you a Snickers bar, you could do something for me. So I'm going to holler at you. And when we see people, hello, somebody, when we see one another, if we think folks can't do nothing for us, we ain't talking to them, is we? We want the people who can do something for us that can satisfy us to put money in our pocket, give us a ride, give us a loan. Give me pleasure. Make me feel good about myself. But if you, if you, if you keeping it real and you ain't trying to satisfy me, well, I ain't really trying to holler at you. And what do we do? We do that because we're selfish. Because we see people like a product and we want to use them for our pleasure. We want to use them. We're a bunch of selfish users in here. I myself, I, as I look over the, uh, uh, the, the, the sphere of pastors, I find myself oftentimes like, man, I wonder what it would be like to be his homeboy. I wonder what it would be like to be in, in the room with them, looking past people I'm already in the room with. Never satisfied. But Paul wants us to push back against this. So he gives us what true spirit-filled relational living looks like and this humble, sacrificial service. The Holy Spirit empowers you to handle yourself and one another. Let's pick this up in verse 2. So picking back up on this theme of service, Paul presses the Galatians further into relational living. And the first thing that we see is we handle other folks' burdens sacrificially. We handle other folks' burdens sacrificially. Verse 2, that's the first half of it, and he says, bear one another's burdens. That's it. Bear one another's burdens. What is he talking about? What Paul is doing here, this is exactly what the Galatians did for him in chapter 4, where Paul was out of commission, and they cared for Paul. Remember, Paul had, he had some type of sickness that, immobilized him, and he couldn't do anything for himself. So the Galatians took upon themselves the desire to serve him well. They went the extra mile. They, they made sure he had what he needs. This is what Paul is saying by 
bear one another's burdens. This word bear has this meaning of to carry a, re- a relatively heavy or burdensome object. So it, it, it's bear, it's carry, but then also in some translations it says to share. To share. We don't see someone stumbling, bumbling and falling down and be like, oh, they be all right. You know, you know, how, you know come on. Y'all know how we do. We see somebody, they got their they hands full of groceries, they, potatoes falling out, and strawberries and bread getting smushed, and, and, and their hands are full, and we walk past them like, man, that's a lot of stuff. Not even giving thought to what it would mean to share the load. Whose load has you have you shared lately? But the key here is it's not even bare, but the key here, he says one another. Who is Paul talking to? And by, by stating brothers, he indi- he's indicating he's talking to the Galatian church. So, so when we say one another, he's talking about fellow Christians. But let me make it a little bit more specific. He's talking about the local body of Christ. Let me bring that down even closer. He's talking about how are you carrying the load for people you worship with in the pew that's next to you every week? He's talking about Forrest. How are you sharing the load for somebody else? Look look around. Just look around for a minute. I know we really don't look past our row. Because once we get in our seat, we stuck. Look at the number of people that you never speak to. Do you know what kind of load they got? Look at the people that you do know. You know what load they're carrying right now. Have you ever had Offered help? He says, bear one another. There are over 51 another's in the New Testament. And Jesus is saying, "Do you, we love one another. Why? So that the world would know that we are his disciples. We don't, we don't want another just because it feels good. We want another because it brings supreme glory to Christ. One another. Bear one another's burdens. This is hardship, which is regarded as particularly burdensome and exhausting, a heavy weight or stone. We're, we're going to spend most of our time right here in, in this passage. We'll get through it, but I want us to really understand the weight of this. Because in other words, like I said, the same people you worship God with Sunday after Sunday are the same people that you should serve sacrificially. Bear one another's burdens. Even when you just say that, bear one another's burdens. Look at your neighbor and say, bear one another's burdens. Like even to say that, to carry one another's burdens reveals something about proximity. You can't help nobody unless you're close enough to touch their load. You know, one thing I, I won't say hate. I try to be careful by saying hate. One thing I just disdain is moving. I can't stand moving. All that packing and cleaning, I I can't stand moving. If, If you ever move, you know what I'm talking about. But as you're packing up your home and getting things ready to move, there's there's a lot of stuff you can handle on your own. You can handle them lamps and them pillows, and you can handle the, uh, the, the items in the refrigerator, but try to handle that refrigerator yourself. There's things we can handle on our own, but there's many things in our home that we need help to move. And when you call your friends over to help and people show up, there's always those few people who, who don't show up. They, uh, now, the week before, they say, oh, whatever you need, I got you. But when it comes time to do the deed, they ain't nowhere to be found. See, a friend can't help you move if they ain't over your house. A friend can't carry the load for you over the phone. 
So when, if we want to talk about bearing one another's burdens, there's some type of proximity that I have gained interest into your house. And that I'm able to touch your stuff. That means I'm right there with you. And then not only that, when they come over your house, they actually do some work. I remember when I moved from Michigan. We, we, we relocated our entire family, and we arrived in Louisville, and Pastor Jamal had set up some help for us, and, and I, I look up, I see uh, Clarence Moody, I see Deacon Collins, I, I see Tyler, I see Keevan. They show up, they come. Did they come in their church clothes and suits and ties? No, they came over in their work clothes. Why? Because they knew they was going to get dirty. Father Moody, he had his sweatband on his head. Why? Because he knew he was about to do some work, and it's going to be sweaty. He's going to get messy. When it comes to bearing one another's burdens, don't act like you can't touch nobody's mess. Don't come over too clean. Don't, don't come over to my house trying to bear my burdens wearing all white. Because if you're going to bear my burdens, you're going to get greasy. You're going to get dirty. You're going to leave stinking. You're going to leave reeking. Because my burdens ain't clean. My burdens ain't light. My burdens ain't nice. And if somebody's going to help clean and help take care of those burdens, you got to be ready to come and work. Got to press in. I love the parallel passage to this in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, verse 14. He says, Paul again, and we urge you, brothers, sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. What is he saying? You're going to be doing life. You're going to be bearing one another's burdens. I, I know what struggles you have. I know where you need help, and I know what pianos we need to move up out of your life. And, beloved, understand this. All Christians have burdens. All Christians have burdens. So when living with one another in a Christian community, we, we, have, we just got to deal with one another's burdens. And the, and the way Paul is talking, he's talking to the church at large, so what? Paul is not saying burden bearing is just for pastors. Burden bearing ain't just for deacons. Burden bearing uh, is, is not just for teachers. But we all have a part to play. But yet, when it's time to bear those burdens, when we know someone has fallen into sin, we also face the baggage that their sin brings. And though the consequences of sin there are still consequences to sin. And I believe part of what Paul is talking about and what he's calling burdens here are the consequences of sin. This is twofold. There, to carry one another's burdens, then, it reveals that we are sinners. To even say we need to carry one another's burdens, that reveals that we are sinners. And I call these, these are direct burdens. And I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be real gentle. Because sin brings consequences. Now, we don't like to recognize it, but our sin brings difficulty and burdens into our life. These are direct burdens. Direct burdens, burdens from sexual sin. Whether it's now we're living in a single-parent home, whether a couple is now divorced because of adultery, health issues, but, but there's consequences to sexual sin. There's, there's, there's consequences and, and burdens from relational sin. Again, the Bible reveals to us that when there's a divorce that takes place, it's because sin has broken oneness. When, when you are estranged from a family member, there's Sin removes oneness. And in a family, in a marriage, you want oneness. 
So wherever there is not oneness, sin is there. If you haven't talked to a brother, a sister, a mother, a father in years, it's because someone is being sinful. It may not be you. But someone is being sinful. Bitter with a former friend because they told your business. Burdens from stewardship sins. You got those bills because you did not pay those bills. You have been irresponsibly using your credit card and not stewarding what God has given you. Now you have the burden of debt. Consequences. Again, we all are there. We all experience the consequences and baggage of our sin. We have those bills because instead of having a job lined up before we quit, we just quit. Or even things as simple as the reason why it's so difficult for you to pay bills is because you quit high school. So, so now when you go for the application, they, they're looking. And it's hard. But God gives grace. I'm so glad that God gives grace that even when I was a fool, he kept me. I'm so glad that when I am carrying baggage because of my own sin, that God sends somebody into my life to make that load a little bit easier. I'm so glad that God did not give up on me when I was trying to give up on him. I'm so glad that grace ain't just a regular grace, but that they call it amazing grace. It's amazing grace because I shouldn't have it. I shouldn't have it in the first place. It's amazing grace because it's out of this world. It's amazing grace because you're not supposed to have it. I'm so glad God gives grace. And part of that grace is that we look over one another and we see the burdens, whether it's caused by sin or not, and we come to their rescue and we come to one another's aid. But then the, that, that's just a small part of this burden, actually, because the larger part, I believe, uh, we, don't, we don't limit this to sin, but really our burdens come from just a wider view of the issues of life. To carry one another's burdens reveals that we live in a fallen world. And because sin has, has so broken and devastated our bodies and our minds and has uh, disconnected us from uh, relational oneness with God and relational oneness with one another because sin has entered into the equation. There's a lot of things that's just affecting us. It's not because we did anything in particular, but just because sin is rampant. I think about things like mental illness. That's an indirect burden. I think about physical illness, medical issues. You didn't, you didn't ask for cancer. Financial crisis. You were just trying to take your child to the doctor. You didn't know it was going to cost $15,000. Beloved, I believe one area that we, we look past is even demonic oppression. Satan hates you. Any image bearer, Satan wants to distort that image as much as possible. Addiction, family issues, even natural disasters, these are results of being in a fallen world. So how do we deal with this stuff? We bear one another's burdens. We babysit, we make meals, we give gifts, and we we 
we, we drive people here, we drive people there, we show up bearing one another's burdens. When I was thinking about this, I thought a good illustration of, of the direct and indirect burdens is uh, I've, I've been talking a whole lot about my decks. We got this deck out back and for years I, I've just been letting it decay. So because of my direct laziness, I had to replace some boards that had deteriorated. That's on me. I was being lazy. But you know what? Now that I have stained those boards and taken care of those boards, the, the, the weather will bring some decay later. Not my fault. That's indirect. So there are some issues in your life that you could look at and you say, well, man, did, did I bring that on myself or is that just something that happened? So whether or not you brought it on yourself or something that, you had, that just happened, we as the body of Christ have a responsibility to carry and share that load with you regardless. looking at this, and the only th- there's only one way that this happens. To handle others' burdens, you must die daily to yourself. You just got to die. You can't show up and, and, and you, can't, you cannot come through those doors and it's all about you. You cannot come through those doors and see, uh, 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 oh, what am I going to get out of this? God created you to come through those doors and say, how can I serve them? I have to die daily because every day, everything in me wants to have its own uh, 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 affection, and I, I, I want to be satisfied, and, and I want to be built up, and I want to be lifted up. It takes the supernatural power of God himself living within me to change and alter my desires. So instead of saying, I want, I say, what do you need? completely contrary to the human experience. We have to die daily. Then Paul goes on. We'll, we'll fly through the rest of this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul is doing a, a, a cause and effect. This is directly relational. If you Bear one another's burdens. You are fulfilling the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? In, in Galatians 4, Paul already tells us and reminds us. He doesn't tell us. He reminds us what the law of Christ is. Galatians 4, verse 13 through 14, he says, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Then he says, And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. The Galatians were loving on him. To love one another is the law of Christ. John 13, verses 34 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And he says in verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 1 John, the fourth chapter, and the 21st verse, he, he, the, the apostle says, and this commandment we have from him. Who is him? We have this from Jesus. He says, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The law of Christ is to love your neighbor as yourself. To love one another. See, in other words, when we bear one another's burdens out of love and obedience to Jesus, we're being faithful. That's why we bear one another's burdens, out of obedience to Jesus. So the question is, this, no, this is an indication. How you serve in the body of Christ is an indication of spirit-filled living or not. If you, if you want to know, if you're walking in the spirit, are you serving the body of Christ? Are you loving your brothers and your sisters? Because if you're not loving us, I, I, again, this is very specific. If you're not loving us, but you're loving everybody else, you are not fulfilling the law of Christ. If you're loving everybody else, but you're not loving anyone in here, you are not walking by the Spirit. 
burdens, this is this means weight, this means pain, it means inconvenience, it means sacrifice. Where does Paul go from here? He closes this paragraph the same way he started it in the fifth chapter. He he finishes it by calling the Galatians to take a closer look at themselves. And what he wants us to see, beginning in verse 3, is that we handle other folks' burdens with a divine perspective. We handle other folks' burdens with a divine perspective. He says in verse 3 here, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's a divine perspective. He is saying, look at your life as God will look at your life. Apart from the blood of Jesus, are you something or are you nothing? This is directly related to verse 2. And when he says something, he's saying uh, you think yourself to be an important person. If anyone thinks he is an important person, when he is not an important person, he deceives himself. This deception, this is uh, an erroneous view concerning the truth. I like how the Amplified Version puts it. He says uh, uh, he, he deceives and deludes and cheats himself. Do you know you cheat yourself when you don't serve one another? You think the biggest blessing is receiving affection and affirmation from everybody else. But the Lord built us. He he built us actually uh, upside down in the sense that when we actually serve others, we receive the greatest benefit. We are built up and the other person is built up. Once again, let me be gentle but yet firm. From that, verse 3, in other words, if you aren't serving fellow members here at Forest Baptist Church and you live in isolation, you think too highly of yourself and are guilty of pride. And d- don't turn your head. Don't be like, I told, I told, I just told them yesterday they was full of pride. Don't, don't turn your head. If you got a mirror on your row, pass it down and pass it back. So this hits everybody in here. Me and you. If we, if, if, here this again, if, 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 if we aren't serving fellow members here at Forest Baptist Church, and we live in isolation. That, that means don't nobody know where you live. Don't nobody come over your house. The number in the church directory been wrong for like 10 years. Can't nobody call you. Don't nobody where you work. You, you come in late and you leave early. The text says, You think too highly of yourself and are guilty of pride. Why? Because a heart that that thinks too much of themselves says, I'm not helping them. I got enough issues of my own. See, we see this kind of hubris in in, in the book of Nehemiah, the third chapter, in the fifth verse, as Nehemiah has gathered everyone to to rebuild the wall, and, and everyone's getting dirty, and everyone's getting gritty, and they're, and they're focused on the wall. In verse 5, he says, uh, he's listing out the workers, and he says, and next to them, the Tekoites repaired. So they are working, but then, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. When you think too highly of yourself, you think you're stooping down, you're stooping too low to help somebody with their burden. The New American Commentary, the writer puts it like this. Such an attitude of conceited self-importance leads to two fundamental failures in relationships. One, the refusal to bear the burdens of others, for that would be a task too menial and deprecating for a person who thinks he is something. The other, the refusal to allow anyone else to help shoulder one's burdens since that would be an admission of weakness and need. To live this way, however, is to practice the art of self-deception, for no man is an island entirely to himself. 
We're not in this by ourselves. See, but then this is not just an attitude. This is not just a way of talking. This is indicative of our priorities. This is indicative of our calendar. Does your calendar revolve around anyone else besides you and your family? Pull out your to-do list. Does any of your to-dos have anything about service to somebody else here at Ford? Because if it don't, you're verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, deceives himself, and we're walking around in self-deceit. Beloved, we have to break the bondage of isolationism, of individuality. We have to break because that is bondage, and it's a lie straight from the pit of hell. It's a lie that Satan has permeated all through society because the scriptures teach us that we need one another to live this life. Verses 4 and 5, this is a, another call to self-examination. Paul wants to disrupt any type of competitive, uh, competitiveness for the Galatian fellowship. So in verses, in verses 4 and 5, we handle other folks' burdens while keeping watch on our own. In verse 4, he says, For let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. What he's saying is, this is not a contradiction to verse 4, but what he's saying, this is an emphasis on personal responsibility. We are to test our own work. We need to examine what load and, and what burdens God has given us to bear. I can't always be looking at somebody else to see how, how I can one-up them, but I need to look at what God has given me to hold on my own. I have to stop comparing myself with others to make myself feel better. We, we have to stop feeding our pride by focusing on the work of others. We need to focus on our own work. That reminds me of that, that movie, Little Shop of Horrors. That small plant that could talk and sing and do all these things, well, it, grow, it grew as it was fed. And it wasn't just fed anything, but it was fed meat. It was fed flesh. It was fed other people. And beloved, if we're not careful, our prideful hearts become like that flower. And it will continue to grow as we look at one another to try to feed ourselves and say, I'm better than you or I'm better than her. And, and we begin to eat and devour uh, one another in order that our, our pride may grow. But, but God says, no, you test your own work. Focus and pay attention on what's going on in your life. And he says this in verse 5 when he says, for each will have to bear his own load. The word here is it's not that heavy burden. This is a common term for a man's backpack. So your own load is, is your own set of unique difficulties and opportunities. Your own sets of weaknesses and your own sets of gifts. So we should not compare ourselves to others because each person is assigned a different load by the Lord. Your, your load ain't my load. And my load ain't your load. So when I look at your load, I can't look at your load like it's my load. I can't, I can't put my personal experience. It's, it's, that's what we do. I take my personal experience, how God got me out of a situation, and I apply that completely to your life, and I say, well, you should be able to do like I did. Why don't you just stop drinking? Why don't you just stop having sex outside of marriage? And, and we think that we can, that, that because we muscled our way through it, that they can just muscle their way through it. Now, the reality is, we, if, if, if I uh, believe in Jesus, that I, I have the same Holy Spirit living in me, and, they, and, and the same Holy Spirit lives in them, but yet it's a different load to bear. I, I, I got a different makeup. See, I, I'm a different type of crazy. Your crazy ain't my crazy. So your crazy is going to process the situation different than how my crazy processes the situation. 
But I am able to lift the burdens when there are burdens. But I'm not supposed to lift loads when they're loads. Watch this. In David Platt's commentary on Galatians, he, he writes out a great example of the difference between loads and burdens. So he says here, so this, see if you can tell the difference between a load and a burden. A young guy who constantly gets up late for work or school because he stays up playing video games all night asks you to wake him up every morning so he does not lose his job or flunk out of school. Is that a load or a burden? A guy or a woman who spends all his money on beer, cigarettes, and lottery tickets, refuses to look for a job, and asks you for money. Is that a burden or a load? A businessman works 12-hour days, including Saturdays, and asks you to take his son or his daughter to all of his, ba- his or her baseball practices and games. Is that a burden or a load? Those are loads, beloved. But these are burdens. A married couple has three children, and one day there is an accident. One of the parents dies in a car wreck. The remaining parent and the kids have needs. That's a burden. A husband abandons his wife for another woman, leaving her with four kids. She needs help meeting daily responsibilities. That's a burden. An older, faithful church member gets sick and is having a hard time. She needs help with meals, transportation, and occasional living expenses. Is that a burden or a load? That's a burden. And sometimes, y'all, if we, if we could just be real, we we so busy dealing with other folks' loads that we can't help nobody in their burdens. We have to be mindful of what God has created us for. He didn't create us for good. He created us for best. And best is meeting people where they are for their burdens, not irresponsible. But when we keep our eye on our own burdens, we will not be tempted to to compete with one another. And when we keep an eye on our own burdens, it will produce confession and not competition. So what does this all mean? We can't and never will be able to bear the burdens of others because sin has so ravaged our, our own lives. And before I can serve someone else, I need to be rescued. And yet, we have more hope. We have more hope in our situation because we have Jesus. And we can bear one another's burdens because Jesus bore ours. Romans, the 15th chapter, beginning with verse 1, says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For, watch this, Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. The way and the reason we can bear others' burdens is because Jesus Christ on the cross bore our burdens. Jesus bore our shame on the cross when he was stretched high and stretched wide. His nakedness for all to see. He bore our nakedness and our shame on Calvary's cross. Jesus, he bore our guilt. And they placed him in the middle of two thieves dying a common thief's death. Death as if he was the one that was guilty. We can bear others' guilt because Jesus bore our guilt. Jesus, he he bore our fear when he was being beat and, and, and mocked and spat upon. What could be going through his mind? What fear? What trepidation of going to the cross? But yet, because Jesus went to the cross, he overcomes my fear, my failure, and, and my unbelief. But greatest of all, on Calvary's cross, Jesus bore my sin. And because he bore my sin, because he relieved my debt, because he took it off my back, 
when it comes time for me to help somebody else, I, I, I'm, I'm free enough to help lift their load. I'm not so weighted down by sin. I'm not so so beat up by sin that I can't be of any use of any service to anybody else. But because Jesus has set me free, because Jesus has redeemed my life, because Jesus has given me a brand new walk, because Jesus has given me a brand new talk, I now can go serve somebody else. It's all by grace. So at the end of the day, the question we must answer is, are you interested in loving someone other than yourself? You know, just this past week, I had a wonderful conversation with Sister Allen, and she was commenting on our need to be ready. As Christians, we always talk about being ready. But then she made the comment, but are we really ready for our senior saints and the service that they need? Are we really ready to care for one another? And I had to think about that. Like, we always talk about being ready, ain't we? But are we really ready here? Are we really ready to help someone when they lose a husband? Let, 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 let me just put it like, let me make it plain, everybody. We all going to die. Because sin has entered into creation. We're all going to die. And all along the way, we're going to have burdens. Are we really ready for that? Are we really ready to help someone who loses a loved one? Are we really ready to help someone with some debilitating medical issues? Are we ready or are we just going to keep talking about we ready? At some point, we're going to have to believe Jesus. And at some point, we're going to have to get over ourselves. And at some point, we're going to have to put somebody else's burden on our, on our calendar. And we're going to have to sacrifice. We're going to have to put on our dickies. And we're going to have to put on our boots. And we're going to have to put on our work hats. And we're going to have to get busy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be real hard. It's going to be an inconvenience. But Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. And because of grace, we can quickly, practical steps. Some practical steps for us. Find out for yourself who has a need and fill it yourself. Ask someone today, is there a way I can serve you this week? Talk to somebody. Prayerfully make distinctions between burdens and loads. Prayerfully make those distinctions. Don't get caught up in carrying other loads where you can't carry anyone's burdens. But then lastly, be careful of making statements like they should do something about it. If you see a need, fill a need. We are not self-sufficient. and There will be times in our lives where we just need help. We are helping others finish a race that they've started. And you may be here today you hear a message like this, and you say, well, how should I respond? The way that we can always respond to a sermon is, is by repenting. Lord, I'm sorry for not being faithful. I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, for not being obedient. Would you please forgive me? Help me to be obedient. If you are not a follower of Jesus today, you can't do this. You can't serve one another. You will always serve yourself. If, if you do not follow Jesus, you will always be the center of your own universe. Everything will be about you. No matter what conversation you walk into, you, you, some way it will be turned into you. You're like, oh, yeah, I've seen this movie. Oh, I've seen it too. And, oh, yeah, uh, I was eating this meal. Oh, I ate that last week. If, if, you, if, if you don't love Jesus, it will always be about you. And the way that that turns around is by you surrendering your life to Jesus today through repentance and faith. Repentance simply says, Lord, I've been going the wrong way. Please forgive me because I need, I need your strength, your grace, and your mercy to turn me around. And faith says, Lord, I believe that you are my only hope, and I must trust and live for you and your purposes. That's how you respond. The Lord been kicking my foot all week. I'm, I'm not sweet. 
But what happens is when, when you press yourself into Jesus, he allows you to take thoughts captive where, where in, in, in other ways they would have led you into sin. My wife doesn't even know this. Uh, so Friday we went to a wedding. We was having a, having a good time. And then, no, Saturday. What day was that? Friday. Friday we went to a wedding. And I needed to get back to do some more sermon prep. So it, it, it was time to leave. And as I was leaving, she said, honey, can I, can I stick around and help them clean up? And I'm like, okay, yeah. And I, as, I'm walking, as I'm walking out the door, my first thought was, man, I came for the date. And I ain't leaving with my date. But the Holy Spirit took that thought captive and said, you are so simple. She's marrying somebody first. She's demonstrating the love of Christ. And all you can think about is you. All you can think about is leaving with your wife. And she wants to lay down her life as a living sacrifice. Had not that scripture been in my heart, where would I have been? If you don't have the word of God in your heart, and you wonder why you make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, it's because you have nothing to take those thoughts captive. That's grace. I wasn't trying to be all super pastoral at that moment. I was broken. And Jesus picked me up. We can't live this life in our own strength. We need to press into Jesus that he may set us free from our selfishness and from our sin. Turn from yourself today. Repent and turn towards Jesus. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you challenge us. We thank you for how you convict us. But Lord, we thank you for how you love us. That in spite of ourselves, you demonstrated your love that Jesus Christ being our paying our sin debt. Lord, I ask that you will have mercy on one today, that they will see their sinfulness, their selfishness. They will repent of their sin and turn towards you today. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Continue to have your way in this worship service. In Jesus' precious and most name we do pray. Amen.